Happiness by Richard Layard. One sentence summary. Happiness will teach you how our desire for it developed, what its benefits are, why money actually hurts our happiness, and where it really comes from, and how Western countries could easily increase their happiness with a few changes. My favorite quote from the author is, Competition for status is a zero-sum game. Richard Layard. Richard Layard has been researching happiness since the 70s. His book, Happiness, Lessons from a New Science, came out in 2005. It is a holistic approach to happiness, meaning it explains lots of aspects of it and doesn't just focus on where to find it, for example. One of the three biggest lessons wasn't really new to me, but the other two were all the more shocking. 1. Our capability to feel happiness in the first place has evolved. We weren't always able to feel happy. 2. More money actually makes you less happy unless you live in poverty. 3. One of the simplest ways for Western countries to increase happiness would be to raise taxes. I know, right? All three of them make you go, what? That's why we should probably take a look at them in more detail. Happiness, lesson one. Our desire for happiness has evolved. It wasn't always there. This answers the question, how did the human capacity for happiness develop over time? Think about the last decision you made. Maybe it was to click on the read more button of this summary. Why did you do it? Let's say you liked the one sentence summary and the quote of the author, so you wanted to learn more. By knowing more about happiness, you would become a smarter person and therefore more likely to achieve your goals, whatever they might be, and thus happier. All of our decisions ultimately come down to whether the result makes us happier or not. Now, this is old news, but get this, it wasn't always this way. Over thousands of years, our brains developed the ability to feel happiness. Researchers have learned this when taking real-time EEG scans of the brain during different activities. The parts that lit up in states of happiness belong to the left side of the prefrontal cortex, a fairly new part of the brain, which is also where the neocortex sits. The fact that this part of the brain has only developed recently in human history makes happiness an adaptive trait meaning it's partially genetic and a driver of survival. I knew that stress and fear were survival mechanisms, but now you can add happiness to the toolbox, which is crazy. It makes sense, of course. After all, friendships, sex and good food makes us happy, and all these things were crucial to the survival of our ancestors. However, thinking that the drive behind all of our decisions is yet another remaining survival tool from the past is kind of scary, don't you think? Happiness, lesson two. Beyond a certain threshold, more money makes you less happy. This answers the question, does more money always lead to more happiness? Surprise, surprise, money doesn't make us happy. While this is old news, there are some interesting facts around it in this summary. First, being in poverty crushes your happiness. Naturally, getting more money until your basic survival is insured makes you happier. The summary says $20,000 per year, but I assume that figure varies a lot, depending on where you live. Getting out of poverty in Asia requires less money than it does in Europe. $75,000 per year is a common figure for Western countries. But this even varies across states, ranging from $65,000 to $122,000 per year inside the US alone. After that, more money will do no good. Actually, it might hurt. How happy you are about the number on your bank account depends heavily on who your neighbor is. Let's say you're promoted to a whopping $250,000 per year salary job and move to Beverly Hills. 
Your new salary won't do you any good here because you're surrounded by millionaires. If everyone around you makes more than you, you'll be miserable from all the comparing. Each additional dollar becomes a little dopamine hit and you'll get addicted to chasing money. Instead, try to exit the rat race early by focusing on what really matters in your life. Family, health, meaningful work and close friends. Happiness. Lesson 3. Countries should increase taxes to make people happier. This answers the question, what is an uncommon way for us to increase happiness across the board? Following from lesson 2, a simple way for Western countries to increase their population's happiness would be to raise taxes progressively. A progressive tax system makes people who earn more pay more taxes than others, redistributing the wealth equally. This is supposed to increase overall happiness due to two things. One, chasing that next hit that comes with another raise becomes much harder and therefore less attractive. And two, comparing yourself to others becomes less of an issue because the desire to compete is diminished. Initially, it sounds counterintuitive, but if you think about it, it makes sense. Sadly, so far, Bhutan, a tiny Himalayan country, is the only country that focuses on happiness as their main statistic. They measure growth national happiness instead of gross domestic product, GDP. However, a lot of countries are taking steps in the right direction, with more flexible work hours, better support for parents and remote jobs, reducing commutes which hurt our happiness. My personal takeaways from happiness for 2017. So as I said in the beginning, I knew about the money part of the equation, right? So obviously, if the book is really old, uh, and it's from 2005, so not that much inflation. So the money lesson that might have been obvious to you as well. But it really comes down to this. I think money and happiness in a nutshell is like, if you're in poverty, you need more, more, more until a certain threshold, which is going to be somewhere between, say, twenty and $120,000 per year, depending on where you live. Um... Yeah, mostly on where you live, actually. Uh, and once you have that, so let's put you somewhere in the middle, say $50,000 a year, more money isn't going to do you much good, right? Um, the only thing where it might add to your happiness, and this is the part where I'm shooting for, and, and that may be something like 100000 a year, I don't know, 120000 somewhere around that area, I guess, is when you want to go into the self-actualization part of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs pyramid. So what am I saying by that? What I'm saying by that is if you can fully decide how you spend your time and you just do it with work you love, like consulting or writing or whatever it is for you, if you have 100% control of your time, I think that adds an extra step to where you can do what you really want and really thrive. Um, and that might add to your happiness, right? And that goes beyond money, but money is the thing that buys you time. So the, the, those two are connected on that high level there again as well. But between, yeah, say 50,000 and say that 120, 150, whatever it is, uh, 1,000 mark, there's not much that happiness can do. So actually, one, a smart thing you could do is to just move to a place where the people around you have slightly less than you do, so you will continue to feel good about yourself even if you're not making that much money. And that's a real thing. That's Jonathan Haidt, The Happiness Hypothesis, another good book about happiness. He says that very thing. He says that our commute, noises around us, um, 
what else? Things like traffic. Uh, so things we can't control that really upset us are detriments to our happiness. And we can fix those by moving and picking the place, the location we live in. And so that's actually a very powerful tool. So you should not easily disregard that and say like, oh, I'm just going to stay in my place, even if you're miserable. Um, obviously, the, the tax situation makes sense. Not that I'm for higher taxes. I think nobody is. Um, but it makes sense, right? I mean, it just adds the equality. And if you know, oh, there lives a guy who makes twice mu- twice as much money as me, but he also has to pay twice as much taxes, then that sort of evens out that whole competitive aspect of it where you just like try to chase more money and more money just for the sake of chasing it. Um, the really, I think the most fascinating thing of this summary is the first part, like that happiness developed as a survival tool, like as a way to guide us towards more of the things that are good for us that will ensure our survival and guide us away from the things that limit or block or um, obstruct our survival. I think that's um, that was huge. I have not put it into that into that bucket at all, right? Because, you know, like stress and fear and the freeze response and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. But happiness, a survival mechanism, damn. Like that's really mind-blowing. So that's also why you should not worry about it too much, I think, right? So knowing that it's a survival mechanism, knows, yeah, yeah, we all chase happiness, that's all fine and well, but don't overdo it, don't rely on it too much because in the end it's like fear or stress in, in some ways that it's only as good as what you make of it, right? So if you constantly chase happiness, you're the same as a person who's constantly bugged by fear or stress or, or pessimism and stuff like that. So interesting to know, uh, interesting way of reframing happiness. I hope you learned something. I'm pretty sure you did. Those were uncommon lessons. Uh, and I will see you on the next summary.